Uh, good morning. I'm Albert. I am a compulsive overeater. Um, it's like a room full of old timers, and I, I love this program so much. And I'm, I'm sitting here, and I'm, I'm so stressed because everybody, I think everybody here knows my story. And uh, so I might be sharing for the, the newcomers who might be listening in today and share a little bit about what got me here and um, maybe a lot of what got me here because I tend to talk a lot about my rock bottom story um, because I can't believe how far this program has gotten me. I can't believe the person that I've become because of this program. Um, I, I almost want to qualify I'm a compulsive overeater and a genuinely happy person. And that was not the case before this program. Before this program, I was absolutely miserable and angry, and, and I wore this happy mask um, that was like glued on by the food. And so long that I was, so long as I was in the food, I can maintain the facade that I was happy. Um, and I remember this guy asked me for my phone number. He wanted to make outreach calls to me. And next to my name, he said, I'm going to write happy because you're always happy. And when he said that, I wanted to burst into tears because I was so fucking fake. Like I just, I had this, this look about me that was just like, love me, love me. What do I need to do for you to love me? And, and that's not the case for me today at all. Not even close. I shared in a meeting recently, I've become an asshole and I really like myself because of that. Um, and it's really true. I've like learned to put myself first so that I can give to the people that I love instead of putting everybody else first uh, in hopes that they would love me. Um, and and it, that's just an absolute miracle of, of my recovery. So... Um, I don't think that I was born a compulsive overeater, but I have a brother who's a year younger than me. And um, I think that our, at least I can imagine that when the both of us were crying or upset, my mom probably gave me something to eat and held him because he didn't have a lot of the attachment issues I think that I had. Um, and not to put, all, like, I'm not going to put the blame on my brothers, but they played some part in this. So I'll talk a little bit about how, um, how like our competition for food. I had three brothers and when my mom would go shopping, it was, it was on. We were looking for places to hide food and, um, and it was just, you know, my mom threatened to put a lock on the refrigerator because we would go through it so quickly. Uh, and we didn't grow up with a whole lot. So going through two weeks of groceries in two days was a problem for our family. Um, huh. Okay, I'll move really forward in my story. Um, at rock bottom, I was over probably 350 pounds. Uh, I didn't have pants that fit me. I couldn't leave the house because I didn't have anything that fit me. I had one pair of Adidas sweats um, that had holes between the legs, and I can leave the house and go through the drive-through with them, and um, and that was sort of my life for a number of years. For a while, I lived as a shut-in. Uh, I didn't leave my house. 
only to get food. The only people I interacted with was the 7-Eleven guy. Uh, this lady, uh, I called it the, 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 it was the Mexican hole in the wall. It was this amazing place that I can go to where when I pulled into the drive through I didn't have to order. I'd come around and they already had my food. They knew what I wanted. Um, with the rare exception that I would be pretending to be ordering for someone else and I'd order double the food at the window. Um, and that was my life for, for a number of years. It was just this, um, this constant, um, almost maybe on a weekly basis, where I'd hit this mini bottom and say never again. And this time is going to be different. And I'd make those declarations after something, something major would happen. And I'd say, this is going to be different and I have to, I have to change my life. Um, only to, to make change for a certain amount of time and to resort back to the way things were. Um, so at my bottom, I was dying of loneliness. Um, I was completely and totally unemployable. I had finished a PhD in an area of psychology and knew more than most therapists and psychologists and it frustrated me because I felt completely and totally hopeless, desperate and alone. Um, so I would binge until I was in so much pain that it numbed the pain in my head. And when that didn't work, I would cut myself. And when that didn't work, I would uh, knock myself out with drugs and alcohol and wake up a day or two later and pray that I find, you know, some courage to get through the day. I would shame myself with food, with the old bags of my fast food, where I'd literally pin it up to the wall of my bedroom and I had like bags and pizza boxes on the walls to keep me in this state of shame so I wouldn't do it again. And it didn't take long for that to, to just repeat itself. So I hit my, my absolute rock bottom. Um, and the way that I like to talk about it, or the way that I start talking about it, I'll just say it, um, it was the happiest day of my life was the day that I decided I was going to kill myself. And um, so... I had suffered with suicidal ideation since my early 20s. And at this point, I, I maybe I was about almost 31, 32 years old. And I just couldn't do it anymore. And I was happy because I knew the pain was going to end. Um, from the day that I made the decision and I had my plan, I... I started to hang out with my family and in my mind I wonder what they must have thought like something something crazy happened that I just looked happy all the time like everything was good and I went out to Arizona to be with my the only friend that I had left and his family and to in my own way say my goodbyes and um, I was sitting on his my best friend's couch um, on a Saturday night, on Monday morning, I would head to Las Vegas and end my suffering. And on Saturday night, I'm sitting on my couch and my phone starts to ring and I rush across the room because um, I don't want the phone to wake up his kids. And I picked up the phone and it was my brother. Um, and he said, Adrian, I just asked Adrian to marry me. Will you be my best man? 
and uh, I said yes and I cried all night because I couldn't figure out how I can go through with my plans um, I came home I found a therapist and that therapist said why don't you go to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting and I said what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I was so angry with her. I was so upset that she had suggested such a thing. And I didn't know that it existed. But I went to her thinking, if I can lose weight, then I can find someone to love me. And maybe I'll have a life worth living. Or maybe she can help me to find a job and I can have some purpose in my life. I just wanted something, anything to get me to the wedding. Um, after a couple of months, I was on my last diet, which was 500 calories a day and taking injections that I had uh, gotten from a friend who got them from some crazy place online. I don't know where. And I went through this uh, month of eating 500 calories a day. And I, dro I dropped 40 pounds in that month. And I said, I look great. And sh my therapist said, Albert, you look like shit. And she says, your skin is gray. I don't know what's happening. And um, two weeks later, after I had put on half of the weight that I had lost, she said, why don't you go to an OA meeting? It's right down the street. Um, this was on a Tuesday. And uh, I said, okay, I'll go. And she said, great, call me after. And I thought, shit, now I have to go to this meeting. <laughs> um, I went to the meeting and the the first person I ever heard speak told my story and that was the first time in my life that I just I wasn't alone anymore so yeah this program's amazing yeah shit um It's hard to talk about suicide as, as like this happy thing that happened in my life. Um, and I guess, you know, it's in the news. And uh, it's always frustrating when something happens like that and it's in the news. Because I listen to people talk and I'm like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like when you hit that point, it is such an amazing place to be. Um, but the disconnect between the having and the feeling and that this program has allowed me to feel again that before this program I was looking for any way to escape what I was feeling and on the surface it looked like I had things that made me happy despite my career being an absolute wreck I had money in the bank I was successful in my 20s like I had a lot of these amazing accomplishments that people could look at and say he has so much and the disconnect between the having and the feeling was you know that that gap was every addiction lived in that my being able to disconnect from my body um, and I'm so grateful to this program because this program allowed me to, to actually be in my body for once um, like really be in it and feel the things that that put me into the food or the drugs or the alcohol or the cutting or the or the numbing out in any way that I could um, so 
that's how it was. <laughs> um, like how it is when I got into this program, um, I found a sponsor. He said, call me every day or I can't be your sponsor. I'm like, okay. But he never picked up the phone. And when he'd pick up the phone, he'd say, I don't want to hear about your feelings. I just want to hear if you're abstinent. Because if you're abstinent, that's all that matters. And I wanted to talk about my feelings because that's why I was in the food. So I missed a couple calls and he said, I can't be your sponsor anymore. Um, And I was so resentful. Um, And I also had so much love for him because he got me abstinent. Um, He like walked me through being abstinent. I was stubborn and I'm like, fine, I'll do it. Um, But he was there for me. I mean, I I think when we first met, I said, I really desperately need a sponsor. And he came up to me to be of service to me. And and I absolutely love him for that. Um, But it didn't work out. And I thought I needed to find someone who had what I I wanted. And I found someone who had pitched nothing but struggle in her life. Um, But she had this peace and serenity about her in talking about her struggles and how they didn't put her into the food and that's what I wanted I wanted the peace and serenity Um, so I began truly to work a spiritual program around the food and um, I think that's what I like to talk most about is is how my relationship with a higher power has evolved since I came into the rooms Um, when I came into program I believed that God existed. I just didn't believe that God saw me. Um, I was as invisible to my higher power as I had been to my family and people that I grew up around. I spent an entire life invisible and God was just another reminder that that I was not seen or heard or cared for. Um, My mom actually, in our bathroom growing up, we had this, this little like needlepoint thing that was like of two little kids and and the inscription said um, friends are God's way of telling you he loves you uh, which I fucking hated because I didn't have any friends and I, I just it was just that constant reminder that um, I was just deeply flawed and unlovable um, and yet God has found a way to show up in my life at my absolute bottom in every step of the way in this program that when my sponsor uh, disappointed me um, my new sponsor was making outreach calls one day and she said well I don't sponsor men um, and I um, but I'd be happy to be your temporary sponsor and at the end of 30 days I, I asked her i borderline begged uh, to stay with me and she did and that is the second longest relationship that I've ever had in my life Um, the first my longest relationship is my best friend who I I failed at pushing away at my rock bottom Um, and I have disappeared on more than on more than one occasion Um, but we're like we're like brothers because again because of this program because I'm able to pick up the phone when I don't want to pick up the phone just to reach out and connect Um, but my sponsor is the second longest relationship I've ever had in my life Um, she's taken me through the steps Um, I am a sponsor 
I, I have uh, four sponsees, two men and two women. I get to carry the message. Um, and the beautiful part about getting to carry the message is that it constantly brings me back to my spirituality and my connection with God. Um, everybody in here maybe has heard my metaphor for God. And I'll just say it so anyone who's listening, um, because it's evolved. But the last three or four years, my higher power has been this metaphor of... Um, so, long story short, it's a YouTube video that I just stumbled across one day. And uh, so this, the way that it's articulated in, this, in the video... Um, the Hubble telescope, years ago in 1996, the Hubble telescope was pointed at an area of sky no bigger than a grain of sand stretched out at arm's length. This tiny area of sky where scientists were skeptical as to whether or not there would be anything there. But for 10 days, they pointed the telescope at this tiny area of sky and photons that had been traveling for millions of years had come into the sensors of the most powerful telescope. And um, what was revealed was 3,500 galaxies, each containing billions of stars. And when I first heard that, that became the metaphor for my higher power, that God is the tiniest thing inside of me, that I don't feel any love or compassion or self-forgiveness or anything good or worthwhile. And what's come to light over the years in this program um, has been literally more than anything I could have ever imagined. Um, and that is what I think about when I'm at my lowest, that I'm just not looking hard enough and I'm not waiting and being patient enough with myself. Um, I really do feel... Wow. Okay. Um, I, I really do feel that yeah, that this program has given me a life beyond my wildest dreams. Um, there's some other stuff that I want. <laughs> like there's all of the, you know, objectively, not a lot has changed since the worst parts of, of my story. My career is not great. You know, um, romantic relationships are still a struggle for me. But... I have programs that support that. What, what isn't a problem today is that the solution isn't always turning to the food. And at times when it is, because it's, it's hard not to check out with food. Because I'm a compulsive overeater, the moment food touches my lips, I am numb. It doesn't matter what it is. It does not matter what it is. Um, I get that hit that that sense of emptiness and loneliness is gone the moment food touches my lips um, but I don't love food the way that I used to I love people and food is sort of the thing that just helps me get through my day um, and it is not easy trying to love people and opening myself up and being vulnerable to people um, um, I want to study and research people. I just don't want to interact with them. <laughs> so, and that's all changing. That is all changing in ways that I never could have imagined. Um, 
I, I want to say if if you're new and struggling with the food, we just you know we just keep coming back and praying for the willingness. I for for a number of years. Um, I didn't have food in my house. My abstinence has evolved. It started out with just three meals a day, which was like three giant piles of food on a plate. Because um, my sponsor said a meal is whatever fits com- uh, on a plate. And I'm like, a jar of peanut butter and a jar of frosting fits perfect on a plate. And um, but because I was honest and, and willing to like really work the program, like the loopholes started to close up. And um, so what looks comfortable on a plate, you know, depends. It's contextual how I feel. But for the most part, that has saved my life. I don't have fast food. I haven't in um, over nine years. Um, And I have a lot of rules about what is fast food and what is not fast food. And there's some loopholes there, too. Um, But for the most part... um, Like food isn't my life anymore, and uh, it, it's just—it's an absolute miracle that I could be standing here. When I was a newcomer, and I'd hear people say, "I have 20 years in program," I'm like, "Bullshit!" Then you're not a compulsive. <laughs> I could not imagine—I could not imagine even having a year. I couldn't imagine that. Um, this program truly is a miracle. Um, Yeah, I think that's all I have today. Thank you for letting me share. Uh, This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Uh, Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Um, Okay. Okay. My daily practice as it relates to program. I'm in multiple programs now, so I do have a daily routine where I'm checking in with at least one sponsee. Um, most of the time, all at the moment, all of my sponsees are in this program. Um, I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of prayer and meditation. I do breath work. I try to be in conscious contact with my higher power. Um, I am in this constant place of reminding myself to be surrendered to whatever it is that I'm trying to move through, you know, in my day. And for the most part, when I feel, um, I, especially in the last year, I feel like I am moving toward, I'm walking down God's path for me. I don't know where it's going. In any area of my life, I don't know where it's going. All I can do is reflect back on my past to see how how God has opened just about every door um, for me. That most of the things that are worthwhile and most of the things we're talking about have happened literally out of nowhere. They were not of my own making. Um, 
So, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Um, can you talk about uh, your relationship to the, the promises as you work through the program? Can you repeat the question? Okay. Um, can, I, can I talk about how my program relates to the promises? Someone reminded me that expectations are how resentment starts, or something like that. There's a program cliche that uh, expectation leads to resentment. Um, And I have, I definitely have a perspective around what the promises should look like. (laughs) Uh, So I think my relationship to the promises has just been a surrender and, and always a shift in perspective that things are never as bad as they were. Um, and they, they've almost always been better than I could have imagined. So for the most part, um, yeah, my expectations have just been given to God. So. How do you deal with the of the Okay, how do I deal with the crippling self-loathing that comes up daily? So, there's, I have this whole thing, um, and I'm, I'm like writing a book. I've, I've literally dove headfirst into trying to figure out, for me, how do I like really start to heal the, the trauma that sort of is, is the logical reason why I am the way that I am. The truth is I don't know why I'm, I'm this way. Um, but for the most part, I, I've learned to to see and, and hear and acknowledge and respect and embrace the negative thoughts. I literally do not listen to the radio in the car. I have to be alone with my thoughts. I I, um, I drove to Arizona to be with my best friend, and on the on the way home, I left the radio off for four hours. Um, because I had to welcome and love the thoughts that uh, berated me for being single without kids, not having the career that he has. And four hours into the drive, I was able to sit with those thoughts. And literally the last two, three hours of the drive, I turned on some 80s love songs and sang the rest of the way home. (laughs) And I I just welcomed the self-loathing with a lot of love. I don't know how I'm at with time, so somebody just waved me down. Thank you. I want to talk about one promise in particular idea what you have to say about it. It sounds to me like you do participate in, no matter how far down the scale you've gone, these physiological experiences can benefit others. Have you helped not only sponsors, but maybe others who are self-loathing, suicidal, things like that? Um... Yes, I would like to. So no matter how far down the scale I've gone, I can see how my experience has benefit, benefited others. And I don't regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. My past is, is a total blessing. And I feel like I've been able to align my values with some career aspirations that would help carry the message. And, and I think that that is the blessing of, of this program, that when we're in tradition, well, step 12 tradition 12 uh, that we get to carry the message 
and that that is ultimately the blessing that we have um, to hold a space for someone else's suffering is is the greatest gift that I've gotten from God without it all of all of my suffering was was meaningless so um, it's come full circle and I feel it's a blessing I think I heard you say that you didn't have a lot of people in your life and you were isolating a lot and had like that one best friend but that was it how did, can you describe why you wouldn't let other people in your life and how that has changed over the past your recovery how you let people in it, it hasn't changed much. Okay, so um, uh, just addressing the loneliness and, and the feeling. There's not a lot of people in my life still, and there never has been. Um, and people tend to come in and out of my life. So the way that a lot of it is me, and I, I try to work the steps around issues with social avoidance, um, that social anorexia all of that that stuff and I'm a huge avoidant I tend to really avoid people um, with my relationships and program I will refer to a number of people as my O angels that God brings these people into my life to help carry me to a new level but to, to try to hold on to them and keep them all for me um, is something that I've learned to, to not do anymore. So I, I, I'm surrounded by uh, a number of angels in different programs, and I don't try to hold on to <coughs> anybody. And I've I managed to have some long-term uh, relationships and friendships over the last, you know, well, for a few years now. And it, it sort of feels good just knowing that I'm not taking hostages like people come in and out of my life and and I'm really just open to like my hands are open I just don't want to hold anyone to me and and to the best of my ability when it's my addiction pushing people away I'm aware of it and I'm talking through it so Okay, so I'm in multiple programs, and are th- is there one that I'd identify as my primary? Um, yes, and OA was my first program, and my primary issue is a lack of spirituality. And I go from program to program to deepen my connection with myself and to invite my higher power into that narrative. So whether the narrative is, is loneliness or, or isolation or food or drugs or alcohol, whatever the narrative is, I'll go to that program to just deepen, deepen that connection. Because so much of my acting out was done... Um, on autopilot and I was not conscious of, of what was happening or why I was doing what I was doing I'll, I'll audit a couple of programs and I'm also I work three programs and I'm auditing um, a few programs <laughs> um, but I'd have to say that it really for me it boiled down to just feeling uh, painfully painfully lonely 
um, and learning to be around people and not use food instead of people um, is, is, you know, the primary issue for me. Okay, so does my my knowledge in an area of psychology um, help with rage? I know. Okay, so I, I think. Okay, does it help? No, and that's probably <laughs> the the source of a lot of my rage and resentment has to do with what the experts say, and I've been doing every program and every book and wanting to know you know why am I so fucked up and the frustration is 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 in the knowing um, and then the, the not feeling so it goes back for me it goes back to having I can have all of this knowledge and it's not enough like I don't feel like it's enough or I learn the wrong thing so Learning to let go of what I refer to as intellectual materialism, that if I get a certain amount of information and apply it, then I'll get what I want. But I also recognize my spiritual materialism, that when I practice my spirituality in a certain way, then I'll get what I want. But I keep playing that game of, I'll do this, but I'm gonna, I want to get what I want. And the rage, is surrendered with the things that I want. There's almost an attachment. It's that expectation that I can control the outcome of my life. And when I can't, I, I tend to rage at all those who who get what they want without being so conscious. And, uh, and it's okay. Like, looking back, I'm, I'm happy with what I got. So... Uh, how do I establish a connection with a higher power in my moment of rage and despair? Um, because I leave the car radio off, I have a practice around forgiveness, and it started in the car where um, I have to pray for the people next to me. Um, and it's not easy <laughs> in traffic. I hate everybody around me. <laughs> And um, it, it, that, it just, the thoughts go, you know, it, they go crazy. Um, but I like to breathe a lot. I have a, a practice, a breath work practice that I try to do, even if it's as simple as just doing 10 breaths a day. Um, but for the most part, to, to surrender um, to my breath helps me to connect with, with God. Um, and that is my time. Thank you for letting me come.